I do want to confess as you're being seated that um, I know that our move and greet time is not the favorite time in our service of all the introverts. And my father, who is uh, an introvert, he always says, I, I love City Church, but he said, I absolutely cannot stand move and greet. But he said he has learned to suffer through it. So what I'd like you to do next Sunday is that if you see someone suffering through move and greet, go up and give them a huge hug and a big old Italian kiss on the cheek and welcome them to City Church. Well, this morning is Pentecost Sunday, Pentecost Sunday. And so what I'm going to do this Sunday and the next two Sundays is I'm going to be talking about Pentecost. I'm going to talk about the Holy Spirit. I'm going to begin to explain things of the Spirit to us. And the reason for that is, is because, first of all, it is Pentecost Sunday. But I think oftentimes when we hear the word Pentecost, we inst instantly think Pentecostals, and we instantly think, what a bunch of weirdos. The problem is, I'm one of them. I'm personally a Pentecostal. And what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks following this one is we're going to take a look at what does the Bible say about Pentecost? Now, what I'd like to do this morning is I'm going to read for us, and we're going to read together the actual account of Pentecost found in the book of Acts. And so together as a church family, as we follow Jesus and we serve others, I think it's critical for us to look at the Scriptures and to have a clear understanding of what does the Bible say when it comes to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which, by the way, is when the church was born. All biblical theologians look at the day of Pentecost and say that is the day that the church was born when the Holy Spirit was poured out on all flesh. I had an incredible, and it was a very moving experience for me this morning. I got up as I always do very early. I kind of went, went over my teaching and was in prayer. Then I had a spiritual moment. I went to Facebook, and I clicked onto Facebook, um, mostly because my daughter's 17th birthday was yesterday. She turned 17. It's hard to believe. She's my youngest. And so um, I look at that and go, man, where did the time go? How many of us parents are like that? You look at them and, you know, most days I say, I wish she was young again and I could keep her around forever. And then there's those days where you go, I wish she was 40 and had left the house and paid her own bills and was all on her own. But anyway, I went to Facebook and kind of clicked in and I've got some friends that had messaged me and saying, hey, way to go, Pete. And it's always funny as a parent when people congratulate you especially as the dad for your kid's birthday, but that's a whole nother thing that I'm trying to solve in my heart. But um, in that, I noticed that a friend of mine on Facebook had posted a picture. It was very moving for me. It was a picture of thousands upon thousands of Chinese people in a public square this morning worshiping God publicly and giving praise to God for Pentecost was very moving for me. They're exactly 12 hours ahead of us in time. 
And so while we were asleep, these Chinese believers gathered together, and there were thousands of them in a public square, and they were worshiping Jesus together and giving thanks for the day of Pentecost. How incredible is that? And by the way, that is the greatest apologetic for what we're getting ready to look at to believe that it's true. Because it all began on the day of Pentecost with a mere handful of people. And Jesus announced about the coming of the Holy Spirit that this thing, due to the power of the Spirit, would go all over the world. And it has, even in countries where it's illegal and you can die for your faith. So this morning we're going to read Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. I would like for us to read together the actual account biblically of the day of Pentecost. Then what I'm going to do is give us context for that, and then I'm going to bring a direct challenge to each individual that's here or watches this video cast later. Here's what the book of Acts tells us. Acts chapter 2, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now, who's the they? Well, it were the disciples. And there were also a group of people who were following Jesus, who he appeared to, and he said to them, listen, in resurrected form, he said to them, listen, I want you to go to Jerusalem. You're going to wait, and on a specific time, he said, I will send you the Holy Spirit. So they've been there waiting, and it's been 50 days since the Passover meal. Hence, the name Pentecost, penta meaning 50. The Jewish people would have gathered together. All Jews celebrate the Passover meal. They would have gotten together to celebrate Passover. It was on the day of Passover that Jesus Christ died. He was the Lamb of God who came into the world to take away the sins of the world. Fifty days later, there's this Jewish feast called Pentecost. And it's a celebration, by the way, of harvest. It's an agricultural celebration. It's when Jewish people would gather their first fruits. They would gather their first fruits and they would bring them to the temple and they would present the first fruits of their crops to God. It was a form of worship and a form of thanks that God had provided for them for another year. But it was also a prayer. Pentecost was a prayer. It's where you would bring the first harvest. And you would bring it as a tithe to God. And as these Jewish people brought this tithe to God, it was a tithe of thanks, but it was also a prayer saying, God, you have provided for me in the past. And so now I'm going to bring this tithe, and this tithe is an act of worship that you will also provide for me in the future. And so Pentecost had this incredible meaning, but there was a deeper meaning as well. It was also a time where Jews celebrated the exodus of Moses from the captivity of Egypt. You see, it was 50 days after Passover when God delivered the Jewish people from the death angel by the blood of the Lamb. It was 50 days after that that Moses stood on the top of Mount Sinai and he received the law of God. It was 50 days. And so the Jewish people not only celebrated the Feast of First Fruits, but they would also celebrate the giving of the law of Moses. And you see, it was through the law that people learned how to walk with God. It was through the law of Moses that people learned about what does it take to be in relationship with God. 
What we know is, is by the end of the Older Testament, that initial law, which were the Ten Commandments, had grown into 613 laws. It had just mushroomed. And there was a law to govern every area of a person's life. But the Jewish people would gather together and they would celebrate on Pentecost the giving of the law of Moses. And so it was a deep, meaningful, important time. It's on that day, on the day that we're reading about, on the day of Pentecost, that God pours out his Holy Spirit. So we pick up our reading again. Now picture this. This is 50 days after Passover. The Jewish people have gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. And I want to read again. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, that's that feast, the Feast of first fruits. The celebration of the giving of the law of Moses and the deliverance of God from the bondage of Egypt. It says they are all together in one place. Suddenly a sound, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that came and separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. A Pentecostal is someone who speaks in other tongues. That's what a Pentecostal is. It's taken directly from this encounter where God comes into this room, and he fills people with the Holy Spirit, and the manifestation of that baptism of the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Spirit coming upon them, is that they began to speak in other tongues. Now, we're not going to read it now, but if you were to read on, you would discover that there were people from all nations under the sun that were there celebrating the Feast of Pentecost, and they heard Galileans speaking in their own tongue in languages that they had never learned. It was an incredible miracle. We're going to look at this more next week. And so what we have is we've got the Holy Spirit coming down from heaven, and it says all the people in there spoke in other tongues. Now, what's the context beyond just it being Pentecost? I want to kind of give us the backstory so that it makes sense to us, and then there's sort of going to be a full-on challenge as we take a look at what happens throughout the rest of Acts chapter 2. So if you were to look at this, what you would discover is, is that the Holy Spirit comes down from heaven and fills the room. I will tell you, that although what happened surprised the disciples, the fact that it did happen should not have surprised them. Here's why. Throughout Scripture, Jesus has been telling them he will send the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 5, I'll just read it very quickly. Here's what the Scripture says. On one occasion, when Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, that's one baptism, but in a few days you will be baptized with or in the Holy Spirit. That's another baptism. You see, Jesus' disciples had been baptized in water. But now what Christ is teaching them is that there is another baptism that will happen and it will be a spirit 
baptism. If you were to also read on in verse 8, it says, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Hence, there's a group of Chinese Christians that are celebrating Pentecost Sunday in China this morning because these scriptures are true. If you were also to look on, you would find at the end of the Gospel of Luke, By the way, the writer of the book of Acts also wrote the Gospel of Luke. At the end of the book of Luke, the Gospel writer tells us that Jesus says to his disciples in a small group setting, he says this to them, Luke 24, 49. He says, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. When we look at this, here's something that the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts is trying to teach us, and it's very key. The last episode in the Gospel of Luke is when Jesus is taken up before them. Acts chapter 1, verse 9 repeats it for us. It says, after he, meaning Jesus, said this, Jesus was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. It was the ascension. It's called the ascension of Jesus. Luke 24, 50 through 53 tells us the exact same story. It says, he had lifted his hands to bless them. Verse 51 in Luke 24 says, and while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. So Jesus was taken up. Is this incredible? In Acts chapter 2, it says the Holy Spirit came down. Jesus went up, and the Holy Spirit did what? It came down. Now, let me illustrate it the following way. If during this teaching, someone came up on this platform, went to one of those heavyweight curtains, and they ascended the curtain, they climbed up it. They went up onto the catwalk, and even though you couldn't see them, all of a sudden, something came crashing down. And you saw that. What would all of us safely assume? That whoever went up caused that to what? Come down. You understand this? The gospel tells us six times Jesus went up. Jesus went up, and then Acts chapter 2 says that the Holy Spirit came down. Jesus went up, the Spirit, listen, the same way if someone ascended one of these curtains and something fell down, you would put two and two together. That's what Luke wants us to understand, that Jesus ascended to heaven, and after his ascension, he sent the Holy Spirit down. It's so important to understand this, that in the book of Acts, it tells us that a great and mighty wind came from heaven... And then tongues of fire came out and separated on each and every one of them. God was making absolutely sure that the people in the room understood that what was happening was coming down because they had seen Jesus go up. That is key. There's a direct link between Jesus' ascension and the Holy Spirit coming down to touch hearts and to touch lives. 
So what we read happens 50 days over Passover. We're now in the midst of this feast of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes down and touches hearts and lives. Jesus told them it would happen, and it did. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Now what I want us to do is take a look this morning at what happens next. The Bible's clear to us that the Holy Spirit comes down on the day of Pentecost. The presence of God fills the house and people, if you were to read on in Acts 2, people begin to speak in other tongues. They become extremely emotional. They exit the house where they're at and they move out into the street. And when they move into the street, a crowd gathers. And there are people that are sitting there that determine they must be drunk. They must be drunk. And so the leader of this group, the apostle Peter, who has the second best name in the entire New Testament, steps to the front and he begins to explain to everyone what's happening. And when he steps to the front, he announces to these people, hey, listen, here's what's happened. Jesus Christ, if we were to look in Acts 2, 23 through 24, he steps to the front and he addresses the crowd. He begins to explain to them what's happened. He says to them, hey, look, you need to listen carefully to me because this was what was prophesied by the prophet Joel. The Holy Spirit has now come down. He is filling hearts and lives. And Peter says this is an awesome thing. And then in verses 22 and 24, here's what he says to the crowd. Why don't you listen? Holy Spirit's moving. People are speaking in other tongues. There's miraculous stuff happening. And then in verse 22, Peter says this to the crowd. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited to God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man, meaning Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. So the Holy Spirit falls. Peter, who's been a complete wimp, now empowered by the Holy Spirit, gets up in front of a crowd of thousands and he begins to explain to them what has happened. Again, in Acts 2, 23 through 24, here's what we discover. Peter says two things to the crowd. First of all, he says to them, you put him to death. And the second thing he says, but God raised him from the dead. You killed him, but God raised him. You killed him, but God raised him. When I look at that, something struck me as I was preparing this teaching. Because what the Bible tells us is, at the end of Peter's sermon, 3,000 people say yes to Jesus. 3,000. But Peter stands up in front of everyone, 
and he announces to them that you killed him, but God raised him. You killed him, but God raised him. Now, I can promise you there were Jews in the crowd that went, time out, wait a minute. They weren't there on the day of Passover when Jesus dies. They weren't there. They had come as pilgrims for the Feast of Pentecost. They weren't there during Passover. They didn't kill Jesus. They weren't involved with that. And yet Peter squares up to all of the Israelites and announces to them, you killed him, but God raised him. Here's the thought that struck me. It was not just the Jews that killed Jesus or some of them. But here's the truth. I killed him too. So did you. You would say, whoa, 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 wait. I wasn't there. I didn't do that. But what I want to explain to us very, very carefully is that the Bible tells us clearly in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, the following, that he himself bore our sins on the cross. And so even though I was not there nailing him to the cross, what is absolutely theologically essential to understand is that my sin and your sin did kill him. It was not just the Jews or the Romans that nailed him to the cross that put him there. It was Pete Hartwig. It was you as well that we were part of the killing of Jesus. And what's even more interesting for me to note is that if you were to read on in Peter's sermon, that in Acts chapter 2, verse 40, he looks at the people in the crowd and he announces to them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. And their response is, what should we do? He said, save yourself from this corrupt generation. You must repent and be baptized. Now, I want to talk very directly to all of us this morning because I think it's essential. Here's what I've found. I have found that we live in a culture that does not own their own sin. We blame everyone else. It's the way I was raised. It's what I got too much of or didn't get enough of. So we shift the blame. I want to be absolutely clear. God is no fool. He knows. And when Pete Hartwig is involved with sin, I've got to own that in my own life. And it's incredible to think that I have friends that I meet with. And when I talk to them about Jesus and him dying on the cross, they will look at me and say, but I'm a good person. I'm good. No, 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 no. You've sinned. I've sinned. My sin took him to the cross. My sin. It was retroactive and proactive when Jesus died. He covered the sins of history, and he covered the sins of the future, and I was involved in the killing of Jesus. I was part of it. My sin took him there. But the problem is, we live in a culture where everyone says, I'm okay, you're okay. But you have to understand, picture this. When Peter preaches to the Jewish people, he says to them, you guys killed him. 
and God raised him because death could not keep him because he had never sinned. He had never sinned. Death could not keep him. But who was he talking to? Please understand, he was talking to some of the best people who had kept the laws of God. They woke up in the morning trying to keep the law of God, and they went to sleep trying to keep the law of God. These Jewish people were there in Jerusalem on Pentecost because they were people who were trying to please God and be good people in God's sight so that God would accept them and God would love them. And it's to those people that Peter says, you need to repent. You need to repent. You need to ask God to forgive you of your sins. Let me be blunt. If anyone could have got in on their own goodness, it was that crowd. These were people that were living the law of God day and night, day and night, and it was not good enough. Trust me, if their lifestyle was not good enough, yours and mine falls pitifully short. It has to. So when I look at this, what struck me on the day of Pentecost was that Peter stands up and he hones in on anyone who would listen and he announces to them, repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. You killed him, but God raised him. Repent and be baptized into the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. I want to say something else that I think is key for us to understand. I see a scary trend in the church, not just about sin, but about something else that I want to mention. City Church is very active in social justice. We are involved with feeding the poor. We are involved with racial reconciliation. I'm personally a part of pastoral groups that are spearheading things all over the city. But what I want to tell you is this. Social justice is not the gospel. It's a result of it. And what scares me is, is I hear people preaching and pastors preaching as though the gospel is social justice. And it's not. The gospel is this, is that my sin took him to the cross. I killed him, but God raised him. And on the third day, he was raised victoriously from the dead. And when I put my faith, hope, and trust in him, then my sin because, becomes his, his righteousness becomes mine, and I am saved. That's how this works. That's how this works. So listen. If you're the type of person who wants to follow Jesus, and my prayer is that you are, I have to ask you this question. Have all of us repented of our sins? Have we repented? Have I come before God with everything that I am and said, Jesus, please forgive me because my sin drove you there? My sin is what killed you, and yet your father raised you victoriously from the grave. So Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, and then 
you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In other words, I sinned, Jesus died. God did his part. He raised him from the dead. Now it's my turn. Am I willing to repent of my sin and to call sin what it is? It's sin. Sin is an archer's term. It means when the arrow does not hit the bullseye. You know what you're supposed to shoot at? You shoot and you miss. That's sin. Now, there's one other thing that I want to say very carefully, but please listen. And if you send me emails, do so, but make sure that you listened first. It's this. My heart is breaking with how Christians treat people that are not Christians over laws, politics, and other things. My heart's breaking. Here's why. I've heard believers call other people fools because of what they believe or what they're trying to bring into this world. And let me explain something to you very carefully. Sin is what destroys culture. And if you don't deal with sin, it doesn't matter how many laws you pass. It becomes completely irrelevant. Should we be involved in politics? Absolutely. Should we be involved in seeing certain laws pass? Absolutely. But if you think that's going to usher in the kingdom of God, you are out of your ever-loving mind. It will never, ever work. But we need to be in there, and we need to be involved. But it's not the gospel. The gospel is repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, because your sin has separated you from God. Repent, because your sin has broken it down, and Jesus went to the cross, but God raised him on the third day. Will I admit my part? Will I admit my part? Here's another thing that I ponder so carefully. My hand, because of my sin, has been on the ladle of the cauldron of cultural destruction. My hand, because of my own sin, has made me grab a hold of the ladle of the destruction of our culture, and I've had my turn at destroying the beauty that God has created, and so have you. So have you. We're not exempt from this. My sin, even though I'm a born-again, spirit-filled follower of Jesus, every time I sin, my hand takes the cauldron or the ladle in the cauldron of the destruction of culture, and I give it my own swirl too. Just because I'm against certain laws and for other laws, when I sin, I'm destroying what God intended. I need to repent of that. But I also need to understand that as a follower of Jesus, how can I expect others to behave like I'm called to behave unless they know him? And the only way to know him is through the gospel. It's the only way. It's the only way. So as I look at this, I think, isn't this incredible? Peter stands up in front of a bunch of Jewish people who've been working their entire lives in order to get it right and to live the law of God and to be a good person. And he stands up in front of those people and he says, oh, no, 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 no. You must repent and be baptized 
repent and be baptized into the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. So my question to me and to you is have we repented? Have we repented of our sin? Or have we become the type of people who are really good at pointing out the problems of culture and not recognizing it that I too have fed in to the destruction and the corrosion of culture every time that I have sinned? Can I own that? But the beauty of it is, is that when I repent of my sin and I'm baptized into the name of Jesus and I declare that I'm a Christ follower, that Christ uses me as an agent in the culture that is corroded and is broken and is being destroyed and I'm able to stand up. But please hear me. The message that must be heard is this. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And all of us need to repent of our sins and turn to Jesus. That's what transforms the human heart. I say this often. We live in the freest country that has ever been known. Ever. And yet we have people that wake up in total freedom politically, economically, and socially, in whatever way, but they are completely imprisoned in their sin. They are imprisoned in their sin. And until a man and a woman squares up to Jesus and looks at Christ and what he's done, and we acknowledge that I am the reason why he died because I have sinned, and then repent of my sin and accept him, then the scripture's clear. I am dead in my trespasses, in my sins. We're going to conclude our time in just a moment by taking communion. We're going to take communion together. And as we take communion, or should I say before we do, what I'm going to ask is, is that Callie and the worship team would return. And as they return, we're going to hold the emblems of communion and you can remain seated just for a moment. But as we hold the emblems of communion, in it is the symbol of Christ's shed blood and his broken body. The Bible declares that Christ did this for you and for me. The access to this fully is to repent and to believe and to be baptized. Now, can I say something quickly about water baptism? There are some of us here that you've been a Christ follower for years and you've never been baptized in water. I'm going to challenge you head on this morning that you would be baptized in water. Is baptism conversion? It's not. But it's a step of obedience that we're called to take biblically after I say yes to Jesus. So if I have not repented of my sins and I go through water baptism, as one African-American preacher puts it, it's nothing but a bad bath. I love that. But if I have said yes to Jesus, why would I not 
go through the baptism, the water baptism that he went through for me. Christ was baptized in a baptism of repentance. Why would I not, as his follower, publicly do the same thing for him? Why not? So if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus and you have not been baptized in water, I'm asking you, please, prayerfully consider and then take the inner leaf of your newsfeed, rip it off and put on there your name that you'll be at the class and that on June 5th you will follow through in loving obedience as you've repented of your sin and you will be baptized in water into the name of Jesus Christ. As we hold the emblems of communion, if you have not repented of your sin, if you have not repented of your sin and accepted Christ's work on the cross as yours, what I'm going to do right now, I'm going to ask that all of us would simply close our eyes. You have not repented of your sins. You have not accepted Jesus. At this moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 men said yes to Jesus, and they repented of their sins. I believe that there are men and women in this auditorium. This is your moment on Pentecost Sunday. This is your moment to say yes to Jesus. This is your moment. You've sensed that God's been working on your heart, the Holy Spirit's been drawing you. Would you this morning say yes to Jesus Christ? If this morning you know that it's time for you to repent of your sin, to believe and receive on Christ, to repent of those things that you have done and that you would accept Christ's work on the cross for you. If that's you and you want to make that decision this morning, I'm going to ask that right now, before God, everyone else's eyes are closed, that you would stand into God's presence. And you would say, God, this morning I'm going to stand and I'm going to choose you. I'm tired of how I've been living. I know that I'm not good enough. I need my sins to be cleansed. I need a fresh start. I need a new day in Jesus. If that's you, I'm going to ask that you would stand in this moment. Stand. Are there others that need to stand? That you would stand in God's presence. There are people that are standing in this auditorium. Are there any others? I'm going to take just a moment because I sense that God is working on your heart. This is an individualistic thing. This is about you, the moving of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus. Would you stand this morning and say, I'm going to repent of my sin, and I'm going to turn my life over to Jesus Christ. If that's you, please stand. any others for those of you that have been standing everyone else's eyes closed and they're in prayer I'm going to encourage you to please do one thing for sure actually two things the first of which is pray with me as I'm getting ready to lead you in a prayer 
But the other thing is, on the, inner, uh, on the leaf of your bulletin, if you'll just write your name, your email, and just say, I accepted Christ. We're going to be starting a small group for people who are new, new to faith. So that in this uh, commitment that you've made to Jesus, there's people that are prepared to journey with you. We'll reach out to you immediately and help you in your newfound faith and journey with Jesus. But would you pray a prayer with me like this if you're standing? The prayer goes something like this, Jesus, I don't know everything there is to know about who you are. But what I understand is that I have sinned. And Jesus, you took my sin on your sinless life so that I could be forgiven and be in right relationship with my heavenly Father. So Jesus, I repent of my sin. And Jesus, I accept you. And the work that you did on the cross, I accept it for me. Jesus, forgive me for what you had to do for me. Cleanse me. Take my life and use it for your kingdom. Jesus, I choose from this moment on that I will follow you all the days of my life, I will follow you and give you my life from this moment on. From this moment on. Now I'm going to ask that we would all stand together. Would we all stand together? If you would get, go ahead and open up your communion cup. If you're like I am, you may need to help from the person around you to do that. But as we stand together, we hold in our hands the emblem of the gospel. This is the gospel. Jesus Christ, his body was broken and his blood was shed so that you and I could have forgiveness from sin and right relationship with our heavenly Father. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. He wrote, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On Passover celebration, Jesus took bread, and he announced that that bread was now about his body. His body would be broken for you and for me. Do you believe that? Will you receive that? Will you rest in that this morning? Jesus, thank you for your broken body. Thank you for this bread that is the symbol of the body that was broken for me and for everyone in this auditorium. Jesus, we say thank you. In this moment, we partake together, and as we do so, we believe and we receive. Let's eat together. Reading on, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth. It says, in the same way after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death 
until he comes. Let's hold the cup up before the Lord. Jesus, thank you for your shed blood. Thank you that we can honestly and securely stand in your forgiveness of our sins. So Lord, we pause. And if there's any sin that we need to repent of, we repent of it now. We say, Jesus, forgive me. Cleanse me. And Jesus, now as we partake of this cup, we do so as a people who are forgiven in Jesus Christ. Because we have repented. We have believed on your name. Let's drink together. We're going to conclude our service. Callie and the worship team are going to be leading us in worship. If you have a need of prayer, if you would like to come forward and pray, the prayer team is going to be slipping forward at this time. They'll be here to pray with you and to pray for you. If you would like to stay and just worship, Callie's going to lead us in an incredible song that commemorates the cross of Christ and what Jesus has done for us. I would encourage you to stay and worship. If you would like to slip out quietly, you can do that as well. But above all else, let's be a people who believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we have repented and we have believed and received in him. And in obedience, we have followed through with water baptism, being baptized into the name of Jesus. And now may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. And may he give you peace. In Christ's name, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship. Survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory
So I wait for you to heal my heart, God. So I wait for you. So I wait. So I wait for you. So I wait for only you to come and satisfy me. So I for you to come and provide guidance so we wait for your victory for your healing for your goodness for your mercy for your presence and Shepherd, you give us everything. Make me rest, make me lie down and rest in the fullness of your presence. No longer gonna strive, no, no longer gonna work to make it happen. Surrender everything. Yes, you are good. You are good always. You are faithful always. You are good. You are good always. You are faithful. Your love is extravagant for me Always You are good Give me a new definition of what it means for you to be good to me So I wait So I So I wait oh, for you to come to me, God. So I wait 
See?